All right, welcome back to the Church in Your Head podcast. My name's Brandon. And Thanks for joining us. Yep. Yeah, yep. no, we're excited for uh this is this number five. Number five Numero episode? Uno dos tres cinco. Numero cinco. Wow. Spanish, yeah. Man. Keeping it in the high gear, and we're not even uh we're not even public yet. These are all um we're in beta, right? I think we're uh we're excited that this is uh, we're getting there where we feel more comfortable to uh, start to release this out into the wild. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I think this one, Scott, I think we talked about uh, focusing on revelation. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we have the, the bishops that Christ establishes uh, outside of us. Right. He's not waiting for us to figure out the church for him. He he you know, he, he shows up when it's his time to show up when he decides to show up. He appoints the people he decides, and he, he gives them authority. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, you know, they have the authority then to go and, you know, they're laying their hands on various people who are, uh, you know, they deem faithful to be able to, uh, you know, guard the truth and then pass it on. And then through the generations, the generations now have a pillar to lead into, to look to as the objective truth from God to them. Uh, so... I think, though, is is some people might think, well, uh, or maybe respond. Uh, I know that some people may be ready to get on the show and, and discuss this, maybe hash this out. Uh, but it's they could say, well, the Holy Spirit, though, he's leading me, you know, so I, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me. Um, and I think maybe that's where we need to distinguish when it comes to revelation, God's revelation to us versus God's revelation to me. Yeah. So, it's, it's, or another way of saying it, like we've talked about God either being personal, which is the, the revelation to the collective or to the universal or to more of the, the established foundation, e.g. the church or God being impersonal. And it is to the individual and, you know, going down the path of the individual. Cause yeah, that's a good point. You know, I've heard this too, growing up, you know, you hear the, the, the tag, you know, the Holy spirit led this person or the Holy spirit is leading me. And, and naturally you, you don't really, you know, you're supposed to test the spirit. You hear that, but you don't really push back per se, because you kind of just trust like, Hey, we know the Holy spirit is true. The Holy spirit is active. And if this person is clearly indicating the Holy spirit's leading him or her to, to do X, Y, or Z in the church, uh, it must be from God. And, I, you know, without questioning, I think you're fine. <laughs> I think you're yeah. okay. <laughs> you can just kind of keep going. But as soon as you start to question, that's when you open up the can of worms and you start to discover that there's this ambiguous, like almost volatility amongst how the church is being operated or the church that you're you're in. So individual versus collective. I think we, we could take a step back because this isn't anything new as you've kind of learned in, through our other podcasts. We're, we're basically going back and showing a lot of these heresies are, are really just kind of regurgitated and recycled into our modern day time. So anytime there's a new new age, you know, cult or, or, or religion uh, that's outside of the Christian one Christian apostolic church, it's just a, a recycled regurgitated heresy. They didn't invent anything new. Um, sorry to break their, uh, their spirits around that, but it isn't, it's just, you know, there's nothing new that you've developed, but l I think let's take it back and let's introduce them to what Gnostics are, because this has a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about. Um, so if you want to kind of get into Gnosticism and it, it came out in the second century, but we can kind of elaborate a bit more on that. Yeah. I mean, the Gnostics, just to kind of sum it up, uh, you know, we're very pretty much, uh, anti-matter. 
Um, everything was about the spirit. I mean, the the God of Israel to them, you know, as they called the Demiurge, pretty much put them in this state. You know, the creation was really the problem. Uh, they needed to escape that. And what's interesting is that for J- Jesus, for them, was not so much, he didn't come to redeem us. He didn't re- come to redeem our human nature. He didn't assume our universal human nature. Well, to them, uh, Jesus was just a phantasm. Because how could Jesus take on matter? Because matter was essentially evil. Uh, so uh, the church actually dealt with this at Nicaea. Uh, the heresy is called docetism. And docetism just says that Jesus appeared, uh, appeared, appeared as a man, but he was not actually, you know, physical human person, physical matter. That wasn't none of that was there. Um, so Jesus essentially comes as the revealer uh, with the special knowledge, uh, the gnosis, to set you free from your body. You know, because the body was essentially evil. It was the problem. And uh, you kind of see this like, uh, you know, Jesus comes, you know, to, to save you essentially from the, the God of Israel, basically. So, uh, yes, there were very, uh, a lot of dialectics here, which I think this is, the, the dialectics is essentially uh, what, as we kind of develop this, this specific episode, is we hope to show you how dialectics essentially keeps you in the church in your head. Um, the Gnostics, you know, had a, you know, the, it was the body against the spirit. You know, so that their whole view was they needed to get the secret knowledge. And they had Christian language, per se. I mean, they, you know, it's like they would say the right words, but the meanings were very, very different. Um, it wasn't about submitting to the apostles' authority and the bishops in apostolic succession. No, no, no. They needed, they needed God directly to give them the special knowledge. And when they feel felt like they received that, they essentially were like elite. They were the real spiritual ones. Yeah, they and, were very. Well, yeah. They were very intellectual too. It wasn't like these are dumb people. Um, and so when they had other intellectual people that came together, it, it made it easier to kind of craft this like secret hidden knowledge base in which they found revelation. So interesting enough, they without even realizing they're 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 needing revelation. So we all, in some mm-hmm. regards rely on revelation in one form or another. The real question is, where is the revelation coming from? Is it objective where we can go and know it's been there and revealed and it's handed down? Or has it been broken and there really hasn't been true revelation? And it's up to us to kind of figure that out. And, you know, with with these kind of Gnostics, and we won't dive too much deeper into this, but um, the whole point is with these Gnostics, aren't they really just kind of... um, crafting what they believe to be true in their head. And one thing that I've read, you know, earlier this week about um, how they kind of affirmed that what they believed is, was to be true is they, they gravitated towards what was called emotional ceremonies. Um, So essentially churches that were emotional driven and you, you see the connection between the subjective conclusion of what X and Y and Z is to be true with the validation of the emotional experience. And that kind of vindicates what you, the individual are believing to be true, right? Which that, mm-hmm. that certainly is, as we kind of now get into more modern days of churches, individual churches, there's a very similar correlation going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a concept called fideism, which basically, uh, you know, instead of, you know, 
using reason as a valid faculty of confirming truth and, and logic, one is presented a truth claim, whether maybe directly from God or maybe somebody who's very spiritual, and uh, you are just convinced. You're just like, wow, that's that's great. You know, when I when I think about that, it just makes me feel great. Or uh, there's there's really putting it in check with reason and logic gets pretty much thrown out the door. And this is where, you know, we, we talk about questions and questions are so important um, when it comes to validating, discerning uh, one's truth claim, because uh, it really doesn't matter how spiritual one is, if they have universities named after them, uh, if they're, uh, they're really big on YouTube, really big on a Christian broadcasting network. Uh, questions are extremely important. I mean, even in the church and the councils, people weren't getting together uh, and kind of going through and listening and being like, wow, that that really sounds, that feels right. Do you feel that too? Does, does that feel right to you, Bishop? Oh yeah, yeah, it feels great. Well, you know, that must be true then. No, no. They were obviously thinking about these things. There was a lot of critical thinking going on. And obviously, as they were discerning truth, uh, obviously being uh, the, the body of Christ and the bishops and, and, and stuff like that, uh, they were obviously, when they were uh, combating the heretics, they weren't just saying, oh, yeah, we just feel that this is right and you're wrong. No, they would they would lay out with hundreds of pages of books. You know, some church fathers would just go at it. You know, I think it was, was it Augustine against the Donatists. Yeah. Um, you know, you can find other church fathers, but they were giving reasons. They were using reason to combat the Donatists, uh, like or Donatists specifically. Augustine Scott isn't didn't Augustine go at um, the Donatists and basically give them because they kept saying, well, this bishop isn't worthy. This bishop isn't worthy. And didn't he just start going through all these different scenarios? Yeah, what happens it, if they do this? Yeah. It, deductive reasoning. So he just did it in a form where it just showed the logical conclusions of what their truth claims were. And it just kind of revealed the absurdity of that position where it just got ridiculous. And so then you had to like step back. And if you were the Donatists, you would have to say, okay, I get what you're saying. Um, this doesn't make sense. We can't really hold to this. Um, unfortunately they didn't. And, you know, it, it is funny. Cause like, even if you take it one big step back and let's go to the old Testament, like talk about revelation and let's apply that same logic of Gnostics or this individual, like my interpretation or what I believe to be true. Imagine Moses as he walks up to the burning bush and then here God reveals himself and even gives himself a name and a personal name. I am now let's pretend that Moses says, ah, that's a weird name. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, I'm going to come up with a different variation of what you're trying to tell me, Lord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go tell the rest of the people what, what I am really is, because I'm going to formulate what I believe to be true. But we know he doesn't. Even when he goes on on Mount Sinai, right? He's speaking yeah. to God. Now, he's, he's talking to God's back, right? He can't see yeah. God himself because it's his essence. And, you know, ultimately, yeah. as scripture says, he would have died. Um, but th this whole idea in the Old Testament, it's littered throughout it. We would call these theophanies, which is another show we should talk about, where God reveals himself and comes into our world and reveals himself in different ways where this revelation isn't, you know, isn't new. It, it's it's a continuation of, of what's been started um, within the triune God. And now they're re reeling it to the, the created in likeness of their own being. And that th there's some confidence in knowing that that to be true. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know what you do with, um, you know, because I struggled with this a lot, where if you're outside of this kind of succession, 
apostolically, or, or let's just take the kind of the modern day church, where it's just you're not your classic non-denominational church. You know, what are the logical implications of that particular church in which the pastor has in their head what is not only true, what they see in scripture, but how the church ought to operate and function? Because maybe when you look at it first, you know, you think, okay, this looks great. Like they seem to be doing a good job. You know, there's there's some cool music here. Um, you know, there's a lot of people showing up. They have multiple services. That might be a vindication on their end that this is working. Um, but we're saying that the, actually that's not the, the the sign. And this actually is more of a a hidden, almost like a trap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is that it, it's really, it seems like when there's no questions being asked, there's going to be a lot of heresy. There's going to be innovations. And really, there's just going to be recycled heresies. I mean, you're pretty much letting heresy into your, uh, I, I don't know if to say church, because really, technically, it's a church if you're under a, a, a bishop in apostolic succession. So, I mean, you know, it, it pretty much is just the church in somebody's head. It's just their sect. And that's essentially what you're exposing yourself to. You're exposing yourself to someone who's well-meaning, very sincere. But unfortunately, there's no person, um, no bishop to put them in check. We need the bishops. You need to make sure that the person you're under is under a bishop and apostolic succession so they can put make sure your, your priest or your pastor is put in check. But if there's no nobody to put anybody in check, uh, there's no how are we supposed to ask questions based on any objective truth? I mean, I mean, you might question something as being odd, but then he could just say, well, this person said it right here or it's clear in Scripture which is a lot of times what you're going to hear, right? I mean, everything is, is, is supposed to be just settled by when you have a question about something like, uh, hey, why did the church for the first 1500 years, why did they treat the Eucharist like it was the real presence, the real body and blood of Christ? Why did they teach baptism as if it was you know, it regenerative? They were wrong and I'm the, right. They, yes, they were wrong. And, and also here's right. the verses. Yes, and I am right. And I have the verses. And me. these here, yes, me. yes, me. Yeah. Me. <laughs> me. <of them. laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. See, I've I've basically taken the scriptures from the church who decided the books that should be in there. And now I'm gonna tell them how they're ultimately wrong in interpreting it, even though I'm questioning the church's interpretation but I am really not going to question the books they put in there too. So it's, see, this, yeah. is the, this is the thing is that when you get to basic critical thinking, all of these major denominations are essentially brought to their knees. And I know people are out there probably like, how dare you? You know, there's really good Baptist denominations and really good. I'm not saying you're not good. This is an objective podcast though. We're talking about objective truth. Okay, this is not about, uh, you know, trying to affirm everybody who's doing good, per se. This is about where's the objective truth? Where can we find objective truth? Where can we where we avoid the objective heresy? And so we don't have to get hurt by it, because this podcast is claiming that false teaching objectively hurts all of us yeah. because we all share a universal human nature. Which, if we all share a universal human nature that Christ assumed, then all false teaching hurts all of us the same, because we all have we share a common human nature, which is uh, obviously we all have, each have a soul, and our soul is objectively affected by false teaching, and it's objectively benefited by sound doctrine. So we need to get we, we're we're trying to move you away from these pastors and and priests possibly who are speaking outside the consensus, speaking what they think Christianity is. 
and really not speaking on behalf of God at all. Yeah, well, and, and that's al- the problem. I would also add that it'd be lovely, even pastors and priests that might fall into this kind of category, that they themselves too. We're not saying that they're hopeless too, right? I think there's no. certainly a, no. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't, you know, kind of take it. it, it obviously, pride certainly can get in the way. If you have a big church, right, you're making decent money. It, it's hard to step back from that. I get it. The other side and implication I want to get into as well is from the Gnostics I mentioned, you know, they, they, they were, they, kind of gravitated towards emotionally driven ceremonies. So e.g. emotional churches, I think you, you see it there, but you see it now where how do I experience now who God is? And I don't want to negate like emotions because God gave that to us. Um, very, very important to have you know, feelings of, of sadness, sorrow, joy, tears of tears of gratitude, tears of joy, tears of fear, pain, etc. But when that becomes the 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 what would be the framework by which you uh, are in the church or you are receiving this personal relationship with God, that is the, where it gets very problematic because it, it's all fueled by emotions. So, you know, for example, when you are, when you go to church, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you're kind of experienced and I've heard people do this where it's, it's almost like in order for me to know who God is, I got to feel him and, and the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit's leading me. And sometimes I get louder or I start to shake or whatever the kind of the reason you might have to, to vindicate that, I'm, I'm experiencing God because we all collectively want to experience God. And, but with the, mm-hmm. with the Gnostic impersonal, uh, you know, individualistic pastor who he has created the church in his head, I'm saying you don't have a, an objective way to know how you're experiencing God. And they say, well, that's not fair, Scott, because I truly believe I felt Christ in this church. Okay. That that's great. But you know, Mormons will say the same thing. Other religions, mm-hmm. other cults will say the same thing. They'll even find evidences and say, oh, well, I got off of, you know, drugs and alcohol. Wonderful things. But those evidences isn't necessarily the, the indication on whether or not you are experiencing God. And what I would say is going back to like, you know, looking at the historic church, you know, God reveals himself in the sacraments. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that is important. And I know that's a big kind of you know debated topic. It really shouldn't be. Uh, especially when you get outside of your head and you look and you're like, oh yeah, well, it's pretty simple. The, the church established, uh, gave us the scriptures. They also dogmatized and created the doctrines by which we hold to be true. It's pretty simple. The Eucharist, real body and blood of Christ. You know, that in just a quick summary, God it comes into the you know, and deifies the bread and the wine. So you are participating in Christ. You know, Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. Who's the divine nature? The Trinity. And so you can now objectively know when you're taking that bread and drinking that wine that you are receiving and you are partaking with the real personal triune God. If you don't have that, then what do you have left? You have symbolism. You have rock and roll guitars that make you feel good. I think maybe there's more. Yeah. And and that's the sad part about it. The Gnostics, it was very, uh, you know, again, Jesus was the revealer. He wasn't the redeemer. Remember, he's not coming and assuming our human nature, our physical human nature uh, to redeem it. Uh, no, the, he's coming with the secret knowledge. So really, if he's not coming to redeem your, you know, your your mind, body, soul, will, if he's not coming to do that, um, well, then he, then you can just ha- give you the, the, he can just give you the the, the knowledge you need, right? So what, where's the place you need the knowledge? Just your mind. Mm-hmm. So really, it, it's a compartmentalization of what's really needed. All that's really needed is your mind per se. So like when you go to an evangelical church and it's just like, okay, somebody's singing some songs, right? Okay. You know, it can be very emotional. Maybe some of it's not, you know, maybe some, maybe you sing hymns, but what is it? You sit there for 45 minutes and you're listening 
right? You're listening, which is fine. You're listening. But then, right, where's the participation? And I think this is the where, where there's Gnostic undertones is because you're there to get the knowledge you need, not to participate mm. in the liturgy that Christ set up in his church. Like you look, you look at the historically in the church, you have the divine liturgy that both East and West are leading their people through where we are participating in. We're just not sitting there trying to get the right knowledge so we can go about our week and do the right thing, right? To, to live the Christian life. Yeah. So, I mean, so what, yeah. So, but yeah, going piggybacking what you were saying about the uh, Eucharist is that's really what it is. I mean, in the end of the day, what's the big deal about having a bishop? What's the big deal about having uh, a a priest, a a bishop, priest, and apostolic succession? Because they have the authority uh, to preach and teach in Christ's name, to speak on behalf of him, and to confer the Eucharist for you. Because the Eucharist is there to deify your human nature. You see, there's, this is the whole thing. It's, it's not, oh, I just need to get my knowledge. No, you need to be deified. And those elements, the, the body and the blood of Christ, those deify your human nature to be able to follow after. God is giving you the power and the strength to follow and cooperate with his spirit to do the works he's prepared for you. So this is the whole thing in the end of the day. This is the biggest reason right there. It's like, why do I need a bishop in apostolic succession? Because in the end of the day, when you, when you have the Eucharist removed, and it's not about uh, receiving his body and blood. Like Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have life in you. What happens when you remove that and it's just mental knowledge, then we get caught in moralism because yeah. we're no longer running by the power of Christ as just like he deified his human nature and he's deifying yours through the Eucharist. No, now it's just your pastor's going to try to his best to give you the best sermon he can, 45 minutes, and you're going to have to run on that knowledge not the Eucharist, to go about your week. And this is where the big problem, this is, this is where it is right here. This is, it's either moralism or it's being deified through the Eucharist. Yeah. And that's what we have. Participation or this participatory element is is very practical. I mean, take that, for example, if if we weren't really participating in the Eucharist, like, no, that sounds too mystical, Brandon. Uh, You know, you're telling me that if I eat this bread and drink this wine, it's supposed to empower me and quote unquote deify me and and make me closer and more united with Christ. I'm against that. But let's take that same logic and let's just go like in in the family realm, right? We're getting into the holidays. One of the things I always, you know, I love is when I go and uh, see my mom, you know, imagine if I took that same logic and said, oh, it's not participatory. I'm just there to just learn. So I go and see my mom and I just want to just talk and hear from here and just learn, which part of that isn't bad. But what really feels our relationship is as soon as she gives me a hug, when we when we unite together, that emotions are then reflected and manifested in itself in that moment in which that love is is curated. And as I drive away, there's then then the feelings come in of that love of that um, of that bond that I have with her of of just the, the implications of knowing that she loves me. And so when you do that in midst of a good conversation, now you have a fully fledged participation with someone whom you love. And no one would ever say, yeah, don't hug that person. We don't want to participate in that way. We just want to hear from them. Like, Mm -hmm. no, of course not. And if God is our ultimate father, who's perfect, always willing to embrace us and here he comes to us. And we call this receptive theology versus passive theology, receptive meaning we're going to the church to receive modern day Mm -hmm. churches. You're coming to, you know, quote unquote, to take 
or, or not take, but to, to just simply learn, um, or, or kind of, I don't know what another word would be outside of, um, you know, just treating it like a hotel <laughs> kind of in a way, but you know, receptive kind of forms are, are very personal because it's, you're getting something just like you're getting healing going to that hospital, you know, analogy we often use, but you're also getting, you know, this, this embrace and this kind of comfort, now, especially let's, you know, the other part that I wanted to get into is this, the confession and absolution, right? That's another big sacrament that is a participatory element of the, the, the liturgy. Um, you know, when we go and we confess our sins corporately or privately, all, I mean, what it's doing to you is it's, it's pushing aside the, the desires and the passions of the world that continue to grab hold of you throughout the week. And knowing that if you fall into that, to receive that forgiveness and to receive it objectively from the, the, the priest or pastor who is a representative of Christ saying your sins are forgiven. How many evangelicals have heard your sins are forgiven on a week to week basis, let alone once a quarter or once a year. I think we, we see it as, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but I guess let's mm -hmm. get into that. A personal God that gives us that particular sacrament. I mean, what's your thoughts on, on confession and absolution? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, we've both been a parts of uh, a part of churches that didn't have confession. And uh, my personal experience was that it seemed like then you're just supposed to hide it. You're not encouraged to confess. You're encouraged to present that you're not having any issues. Uh, you're doing good. You're a good Christian, um, which really just makes the environment just very self-righteous, um, very pride, you know, kind of encourages pride. Uh, obviously, confession, you know, it encourages humility, right? We're going there to confess our sins and acknowledge them. And, and, and even if it's not a big deal to us sometimes, well, it, it's a big deal to God. And it's like being able to uh, confess and receive that forgiveness and unburden ourselves, right? Because it can weigh our conscience uh, a lot of times. And and when you're in, in churches that aren't giving that remedy, uh, like, a, like a hospital, you know, like the church, you know, essentially being set up like a hospital to help heal us when you don't have that vital element as part of the church, uh, this is where, you know, people can be extremely discouraged. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, there was a point where I became almost suicidal, uh, because I, I, I think I was, I was trying so hard to be like everybody. Cause I thought all these super spiritual people were in the church that I just never could live up to because I thought that they were just so holy. Um, and realistically, uh, you know, coming, you know, after learning everything and understanding everything, I know that that's. That's not the case. They have issues yeah, just like I did. God. They were struggling just like I did. But when you have it where there's that mask or that persona that's portraying to you that everybody's, oh, well, no, they're they're really, really holy. And, you know, the pastor, you know, like the pastor was kind of presented that way, you know. So it's I think that's where it can become uh, very dangerous. And I'm not saying everybody's going to be suicidal if you if you go to a church that's, you know, not, uh, you know, that doesn't have confession. But I think that's sadly, that's the environment. That you give it's just like i need to kind of i can't really let anybody know that i'm really struggling yeah so and then and basically to sum it up i mean an impersonal god leads to uncertainty and so how do you you combat that uncertainty that's going to constantly be gnawing at you is you gotta you've got to keep going you got to keep doing stuff you got to compare yourself to others or you got to just keep doing you know, it's kind of like a, a go 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 what's the the, the bunny banging the drums um, the, the, the stupid battery buttery, what I forgot what it's called, but you, it's almost like you're just, you're almost like getting to the point where we see burnout happen a lot in a church. And a lot of that I think is indicated from 
just having a lack and they wouldn't, they may not admit it or they may not know it, but they just don't have that objective, absolute certitude and the grace and mercy and the forgiveness that they have. Cause we're all sinning. We all give into our passions. And on top of that, knowing that they're, they're receiving and participating in, in the actual real body and blood of Christ, the real triune God, Gnosticism going all the way full circle is, is very demonic and it leads to you having no certainty. And so you have to figure out whatever you got to do to, to hang on to that. But as we've seen, I've had friends and I know you've seen people too, Brandon, where they just, they get exhausted hanging on to this Christian walk. It's too hard. And you know, they, they, they peace out. And it, yeah. it's really sad because I would look, not to say we can like diagnose all of them, but I just, I would argue that maybe uh, one component of probably many is that they just really never experienced the real true objective God. They were just told the generic God that when one, somebody from the world kind of challenges them, they realize their God is really not different from this person's God or the world's God. And in personal, I mean, imagine our kids, if they, they had the same feeling towards us as dads, like, you know, they just, they stopped confessing or talking to us at all. They weren't receiving any of the food that we gave them. I mean, they're going to just starve and there's no relationship. I mean, naturally it's, it's going to be, it's going to end bad for them. And mm -hmm. we would never let that happen. We're loving fathers that would always want to feed our kids. And we would want to encourage communication and hugs because that's all real tangible ways for our children to know my daddy is here for me and he loves me in spite of me and my failures. You know, let's apply that to the real triune God who loves us and embraces us open-handedly every day. I mean, the prodigal son isn't just a one and done thing. We are all little, um, prodigal sons running away. It feels like daily and needing our father to embrace us. And I think that's where the, the, this absolution of objective certitude in which your sins are forgiven. You receive the Eucharist, um, amongst other great sacraments, baptism, and we don't have to get all into that, but we get the point, right? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, the saddest part about it is the moralism. You, you go back to a church that is, you know, diminishes the Eucharist to just a symbol or doesn't even have it at all. You're really just stuck in this moralistic environment of uh, people portraying to you that, oh, I've, I've got it all together. Or I'm doing really good. Um, people can make up their own rules uh, like the Pharisees did. You know, they built a fence around the law. So yeah. they might, you know, I don't watch R-rated movies. I don't drink. And, you know, I don't smoke. I don't do it. And so they create their own laws essentially to feel righteous. And that's a self-righteous trap. Um, you know, obviously, you know, drinking, obviously that's fine in moderation. You can enjoy a, a beer or a glass of wine or, uh, some whiskey or whatever. Um, but, but, but that's, what's, that's, what's sad though, in these environments is that, you know, going back to the Gnostics, if you just need knowledge, right. It's like, you know, what, what do you, what do you, what do you push to, what do you push to instead of the Eucharist, instead of confession, you're pushed to more books, Right. Oh, this pastor got another book. He's going to help you, uh, you know, deal with, uh, you know, that personal problem you have of, you know, looking at, at that stuff in the Internet, you know, when no one's around. Uh, so here's another book. You can you can do it. You can do it, you know. And but all along, the church has had the practice of fasting to curb the lust of the flesh. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're pushed to more head knowledge. You're not pushed to the sacraments. Christ established a church with objective an objective church outside of you with objective sacraments for you. And, and they're there. And you don't, you don't need to keep going to more books to figure out the next method to try to be a better Christian. 
you need to be deified. You need to be cleansed, your mind from, and from confession, your conscience unburdened. And you, you're, basically, your faculties need to be deified through the Eucharist. And this is the whole thing. It's getting away from moralism, getting away from the guy who thinks that he can start his own church and tell you about how good you should be of a Christian and how good he is. You need to get away from them. You need to get under a bishop in apostolic succession because the healing is there. You might have been struggling for years already. Maybe you're ready to give up Christianity. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, hey, you know what? You could still try this. There's still, I say, give this one more shot. But there's hope that God, he didn't need these guys to fix his church. He's got it. He's had it. And he's going to keep it all the way until it's time for him to come back. So I hope that if you're out there and you're listening today, that you know that God loves you so much and he's shown it to you objectively that he does. You know, it's like he doesn't need to like wait for somebody to give him a really good argument to try to convince you. Oh, you know, finally somebody will give him give him the right uh, verses or give him the, the the best like the best presentation of me. It's like no, it's objective. It's there. You know, this podcast of, of hopefully is pointing to you that that's the case. That you don't have to keep searching. You know, that that that, that really is out there. So yeah, that's very good. And the church being the pillar and ground of truth. Uh, provides that that comfort and yeah to those that's a good point to those that are kind of burdened or just by god's divine decree happen to listen to this weird podcast that we're both doing uh you know because i mean at the end of the day we're no different than you are um we struggle we have our sins we have our follies but we have discovered what objective truth can do to the life of the christian in our in our walk with christ where the burnout certainly can be there, but we know with with the the ways in which the sacraments are given to us, and 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 knowing that there's been a real revealed God historically via through the church um, helps us keep going. Because then it's, you're not alone. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You're surrounded by other believers who are united with you, who are of the same mind. And so when we talk about the Eucharist, another word is communion, right? We commune. We're in mm-hmm. union with each other. You know, that's where we stand strong, and we have those pillars, and we are the church, the real church. Mm-hmm. And we can objectively show other people we're the real church and you can have confidence in that. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's a good ending point that what you said, Brandon, is that those who might be in despair or might be a point where they're, they're wanting to be done. Um, give it one more chance, you know, find a church that, that reveals themselves or opens up the sacraments and, you know, is in succession. I mean, you can read or watch some of the other, listen to the other podcasts that kind of talk about how we, we navigate you in the right direction and love, love to have more comments too, and and to engage and 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 show you, you know, where we would recommend, um, depending on where you're at. But um, hopefully, this is uh, this is giving you some good hope, because um, the world is is constantly going in a very uh, anti-Christ, anti-objective God uh, direction. You know, it's yeah. moving in towards religion, but in you know, to each his own, the God in your head uh, kind of religion. Yeah, and and you're and you're going back to the, the you know we mentioned dialectics, but it's like th- that's where you're going to see a lot of problems. Uh, dialectics, uh, church versus the Bible, Bible uh, body versus the spirit. Um, you know when you have this type of of mentality, um, you know it's easy to you know get caught up in the church in your head, right? Because it's the Bible versus the church. You know, church didn't get it right. 
you know, yeah. I got to I, I got to take the Bible now, uh, you know, body versus spirit. You know, we'll get into that uh, mainly probably how like the nature reformed person. Yeah. nature person distinction. It, you know, if, if you don't have that and you start to have this dualistic body versus spirit, how that can essentially keep you from knowing objective truth. But we'll we'll push that to another uh, yeah. episode. I think this is a good spot to end. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody listening and uh, we're excited uh, to, to do the next one. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks. Thank you.